What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We have to have this debate in Congress about whether we should be in places like Afghanistan. This Taliban has changed. We've got to hold them accountable. We'll see how they govern. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The infrastructure bill will create jobs that we desperately need in this country, good-paying jobs. We need to go all out a green, renewable economy and all of the infrastructure to make that happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The plates are still spinning. Afghanistan, infrastructure, cybersecurity, COVID, need I go on? They're all still in the air this last full week of August. And today on Sound On, we begin in Kabul, where the world's biggest airlift continues ahead of next week's deadline for withdrawal. The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, just gave us an update. We have new numbers on how many Americans have been evacuated and how many remain in a country that is now controlled by the Taliban. We'll talk about it ahead with Bill Raggio, senior fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, editor of the Long War Journal, and later our conversation with the Chancellor of the University of Texas met today with President Biden about enhancing the nation's cybersecurity. A big meeting at the White House. He was in the room. And the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis here for the hour, along with former New York Congressman Joe Crowley. Thank you for joining us today on Bloomberg Radio. One of the biggest questions in Afghanistan has been how many Americans are there? How many are in the country? The government has had a difficult time figuring that number because the State Department does not track movements as people travel. Many people did not register with what was the U.S. Embassy as they came and left the country. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says they've taken a deep dive on this and tried to answer this question today. Starting on August 14, when our evacuation operations began, there was then a population of as many as 6,000 American citizens in Afghanistan who wanted to leave. Over the last 10 days, roughly 4,500 of these Americans have been safely evacuated, along with immediate family members. Over the past 24 hours, we've been in direct contact with approximately 500 additional Americans and provided specific instructions on how to get to the airport safely. A briefing held a short time ago. I hate to do your math, have to make you do math on the way home. So we started with 6,000, 1,500 remain. And the U.S. government has been in touch with 500 of them. Lincoln says they are aggressively trying to reach the rest. Since August 14th, We've reached out directly to every American enrolled with us in Afghanistan, often multiple times. Hundreds of consular officers, uh, locally employed staff, here in Washington, at dozens of embassies uh, and consulates around the world, are part of what has been an unprecedented operation. Blinken vowing to continue helping Americans in Afghanistan after the U.S. withdrawal. And with six days left, we talk about what's happening on the ground in Kabul, with Bill Raggio, senior fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, editor of the FDD's Long War Journal. 
Bill, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. We have a lot of questions about what's happening on the ground in Kabul. We all do. But you're writing in the Long War Journal that the Taliban Special Forces outfit known as Badri 313 has been providing security at the airport in Kabul. Are they controlling the gates, Bill? And, and who are these people? Badri 313 is a one a part of what the Taliban calls its special forces. It was trained um, and armed and equipped by a group known as the Haqqani Network. It's the most powerful Taliban faction. Yeah. Haqqani Network is a uh, listed as a terrorist organization by the government leader. Sirajuddin Haqqani is a specially designated global terrorist as well, close ties to al-Qaeda. The UN described him as an al-Qaeda leader in its latest sanctions and monitoring report. He is also, Sirajuddin is also a, a deputy emir uh, of the Taliban. He's the man behind the plan for this, this takeover of the country. Mm. I would argue he's the most influential and powerful Taliban leader. Uh, this group, it, it, it's a well-trained, well-equipped, probably with the support of the Pakistani state. And it, as far as what's happening in Kabul, it's controlling checkpoints and basically assigned security for around the airport. Uh, it's controlling checkpoints to the airport and, out, and, and outside. It's not controlling the gates itself. That's under the control of the U.S. military and Western military. But it's been assigned security for Kabul. So it tells you just how important the Haqqanis are in uh, Afghanistan and within the Taliban. What's happening in Kabul is probably the most important thing to the Taliban right now. And a lot of this chaos that we're seeing, I believe, is designed by the Taliban to humiliate the United States and, and the West as they're trying to get their people out. So this is a terrorist organization. This this group, you say, is responsible for some complex suicide operations. These are not good guys, Bill. No, absolutely not. They They're part of the what al-Qaeda calls its martyrdom brigades. There's a lot of elements to the special forces of which Badri 313 are part of. But yes, the, the, it has its fighters. Look, they were at the tip of the spear of a lot of these operations. Yeah. Suicide assaults on Afghan, particularly in Helmand and Kandahar, when the Afghan military was clinging to hold on to the city. Badri or the, the special forces in general were assigned the task of softening up the Afghan forces for the ultimate collapse. Boy. And these are these are the men our our forces are are interacting with. Bill, we're increasing flights and evacuations every day. The numbers are impressive, but getting to the airport remains a major challenge. Uh, John Kirby, the spokesman for the Pentagon, said not every checkpoint is manned the same way. They're not all aware of the protocol. And now that we're you know we're thinking of this Badri group, it makes you wonder. Uh, the U.S. military is constantly being called to help credential people through these gates. This sounds very tenuous, still. It is very tenuous, and I think that the the fact that you haven't yet, that we're aware of, had American citizens kidnapped or killed in the streets of Kabul is an indication that the Taliban wants this organized chaos to, to exist. It would, would be easy for them to detain and, and either kidnap or execute American citizens. That certainly isn't off the table for them, particularly if, if their Taliban are serious about, about not allowing that August 31st deadline yeah. to happen. And think about this. I mean, the U- if the U.S. wants out by August 31st, it has to start drawing down now. All of this while conducting an extremely complex operation to get as many people out at the deadline. And you know, President Biden has basically said he trusts the Taliban to help us, and we're trusting, literally trusting terrorists who are involved in suicide operations throughout Afghanistan 
to provide security for American citizens as they get to the airport. I want to ask you, Bill, lastly, about members of the Afghan army, which, well, I guess doesn't exist any longer, but members who are still putting up a fight against the Taliban, specifically a pocket of resistance in Panjshir province. You've been writing about that. How large is this group? And is the U.S. doing anything to support them? Is this one of the most underreported stories of the last month? Yeah, I mean, it it certainly is one of the biggest stories that I'm attempting to follow. It's very difficult. So Panjshir is a hotbed of resistance to the Taliban prior that was made the core of the Northern Alliance right now. But back then they had a province called Badakhshan in the Northeast. That was their lifeline to the outside world. Right now Panjshir is surrounded. Um, there's, I saw a report that they have 20,000 fighters within the province. The militias have organized. They were a group that didn't turn over its weapons after, after you know, the Bonn Agreement in the early 2000s. They refused because they, they were left out of the government. Think of it as a mountain fortress. You know, it's very. If you look at videos, you look at the opening of the pass, single lane in with a river. So it's easily defensible. The question is, is can they hold out? Now, not only is it the people of Panjshir that have organized, but Amrullah Saleh, the, who previously was the vice president of Afghanistan, and is, who's named himself president by the Constitution, he is correct. Um, he also led the, what was known as the National Directorate of Security, which was basically their CIA and FBI all rolled up in one. It's their, their in domestic intelligence and, and uh, foreign intelligence agency. So he has a deep Rolodex, and about 10,000 or so the remnants of the Afghan army that didn't surrender to the Taliban that that consolidated in areas just outside of Panjshir, they're under his command. Ten thousand? Um, that, that's a lot of soldiers. It is, and and look, the United States is not recognizing him. I'm not aware of any support. It's possible CIA might be providing support, but yeah, it is. I mean, if you think about it, now look, the the force inside Panjshir that's going to be a defense force. That's sort of their, uh, you know, their garrison force. That's what they need to defend the province. But he, Salah is battling Taliban, as we speak, outside, in districts outside of Panjshir to try and expand the bubble around him. He's having some problems. He's in need, in need of support. It's a long shot, but it's the best shot that Afghans have if they want to make, maintain resistance to the Taliban. But it's vital that they, they extend a lifeline to the outside world and the outside world supports them. But Bill, will, will they not at some point be overwhelmed? Is that where the last stand will take place, Panjshir province? It's that's the question, right? That's what we're that's what I'm following now to see. You know, it's possible. Look, we saw a lot of people. You know, do the people of Panjshir want to be taken over militarily by the the Taliban? Um, will they fight to the end to hold their province? I mean, it's that's that. Those are the questions we're we're asking right now. You know, again, it's a, it's it, it's the odds are very very long for the for the people of Panjshir and and Salah's forces to resist the Taliban. But they do have a good place to start from. Panjshir is an easily defendable province. If the Taliban tries to move in militarily, they're going to take thousands upon thousands of casualties. So the the Taliban right now is trying to negotiate some type of end to it. But the leaders of Ahmed Shah Massoud's son, his name is also Ahmed Massoud, he's the man who um, was the leader of the Northern Alliance. Um, and he was assassinated by al-Qaeda by suicide bombers two days prior to 9-11. Um, so they're, they're talking a good game right now. They're saying yeah. they'll fight to the end. They won't surrender to the Taliban. But after we witnessed, it's, you know, anything's possible. Boy, this is an incredibly important part of the story, and we'd like to stay in it touch is. with you as you learn more, uh, Bill. Thanks for the insights today. 
Bill Raggio, senior fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. You can read his work at the FDD's Long War Journal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. Much will be written about what's happening right now in Kabul, with thousands of American troops in harm's way as the U.S. prepares to leave the country. The Secretary of State. It's hard to overstate the complexity and the danger of this effort. We're operating in a hostile environment in a city and country now controlled by the Taliban with the very real possibility of an ISIS-K attack. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. To think thousands of former Afghan army soldiers are still fighting outside Panjir province, the resistance. And based on what we heard there from Bill Raggio, they could be fighting for some time. Let's bring in the sound on panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis is with us along today with former New York congressman, former Democratic caucus chair in the House, Joe Crowley. Welcome to both of you, Rick. I feel like we're not making enough out of this this band of holdouts here in Panjir. Should the U.S. military be helping them, or do you believe, like Bill said, the CIA may already be? Well, I'm sure they have uh, longstanding relationships. These are the guys who helped us uh, originally uh, with the fight against the Russians in Afghanistan. So there's a long history of cooperation with U.S. military and especially the CIA, mm-hmm. who really ran that operation uh, with the Northern Alliance. And so this is an extremely well-known group, deep roots, uh, you know, getting intelligence and military support. And so I have no doubt that uh, we're in, in touch with these guys, and they have a, a, a really admirable fighting team, as you heard in uh, the previous interview, uh, you know, in, in excess of 20,000 troops, you know, in a stronghold in the northern area. Now, the Taliban's got its hands full trying to, you know, now take over and run a country and get us out of there. But uh, these are the guys who are going to be sticking around, giving them a hard time. Because if you hear from a Masood that they want to fight to the end, they're going to fight to the end. Wow. Joe Crowley, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. We haven't had a chance to talk to you since all of this madness began uh, on the ground in Afghanistan. And I'd like to get your, your, your more broad reaction to what's going on here in the effort to evacuate all these Americans. But what do you make of this fighting force that Rick and Bill were just talking about? Could this create... Uh, an element of resistance that we could continue using after we leave? 
Well, I don't think there's any question that uh, that's good news. Uh, I think uh, most Americans would agree. Uh, but the, the real question is, I guess, is really what uh, su- what support from the world they could uh, uh, they would need to sustain that, and whether or not there's going to be a will to do that beyond the clandestine support of uh, intelligence agencies like the CIA. Mm-hmm. You know, writ large, I mean, this is an incredibly uh, a tragic situation in, in, in many respects, uh, but not entirely unexpected. Uh, I think when you uh, see what's happening on the ground there today. The, one of the greatest, uh, you know, um, uh, missions to 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 uh, to, to rescue um, tens of thousands of people, probably in the history of our of our world, and um, and, and 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 a brave effort by uh, our our American military on on the ground and their presence there uh, to save Americans as well as those who are loyal to the U.S. Uh, throughout these twenty years. Joe, I know you're not in the Democratic leadership on Capitol Hill right now, but. Uh, you were quite recently, and I wonder what your impressions are of the way the Biden administration has handled this. Would you be a critic right now, or would you be one of the, the Democratic lawmakers defending Joe Biden? Well, I think that there's always room for criticism, um, and I think there'll be a great deal of criticism uh, and constructive criticism, I hope, as well, in terms of what transpired here. Uh, I do think um, I agree with the with, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I voted uh, to go into Afghanistan after 9/11, um, and uh, but I also uh, voted against the surge because I didn't believe that uh, uh, the, the the mission creep that had entered uh, to, to develop a d- democracy and all the other things that were good intentioned um, were possible, uh, and, and certainly the, the, the at the expense of American uh, military men and uh, women in particular, with all the the, the coalition forces, uh, and so. Um, you know, this was never going to be pretty no matter what happened. Uh, and I think it's extraordinary that the tens of thousands of people that have been evacuated have been done so. Uh, and so far, without the loss of, of American life. Uh, and I think that's an important aspect as well. But I, as I said before, there'll be time to fully investigate and look through this. And I think what you'll see is a big difference is that Democrats themselves will be as self-critical as Republicans will be of Democrats. Rick, we're down to 1,500 Americans. We're in touch with 500 of them, I believe, is uh, what we heard today from the Secretary of State. Uh, That's a smaller number than a lot of people may have thought, based on the fact that we're flying thousands out per day. Does it sound realistic to you today? And I I could ask you this every day until the middle of next week, that, that we actually can get those people out? Well, I think that it makes sense that we can move that many people if we can get our hands on them. If they're scattered around the country, it's going to be very difficult to get them to the airport and out in in the time that's left available to the military between now and August 31st. That being said, once the troops leave, it doesn't mean we lose our capacity to bring uh, equipment into that country and, and, and exfiltrate American citizens. And I'm sure that will remain an important priority for this administration. So even though we've got this deadline and we, we have a pretty good number of what it takes, uh, I, I don't think that, that this effort ends on, on August 31st. I would say that undercounts the tens of thousands of Afghan allies who have worked for us and fought alongside of us who are trying to get out of the country, and that is still an enormous task that the military are trying to perpetuate. Joe, we'll talk about this more later on in the hour. How worried are you about seeing all the Americans get out? And and are we essentially giving up on getting all the Afghan allies out by next week? 
No, I don't think so. I think uh, uh, that, first of all, I'm, 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 I'm pleased uh, that we have been able to evacuate as many people as we have. And I, I agree with Rick that I don't think the U.S. government is uh, giving up on uh, extracting anyone um, that, they, that we can get our hands on, that we can uh, make happen. Um, you know, there, I think that there are going to be, there are and there are going to be other avenues by which we will be able to extract folks yeah. who want to be extracted from Afghanistan. That's my my hope and my belief. There's been a string of attacks that brought us to this moment. We've talked about them over the past year, attacks on our infrastructure, including the Colonial Pipeline. How about JBS, the food processor, as well as software and cloud providers like Microsoft, SolarWinds, largely perpetrated, as I read on the terminal, by cyber groups based in Russia and China. And the president has pushed back on this, at least verbally, saying at the, the G7 not that long ago, that the U.S. would respond with a forceful response, whether this is a state player or some kind of rogue. That's what brought us to the big meeting today, urging CEOs from around a series of industries, including big tech. Apple's Tim Cook was there, Sundar Pichai from Google, Andy Jassy from Amazon, also, big names from banking. Jamie Dimon's in the room. Imagine the CEO of Bank of America, Brian Moynihan. J.B. Milliken was with them, the chancellor of the University of Texas system, as the president tried to get input from around the spectrum here to essentially create a collaboration. Chancellor, welcome to Thank Bloomberg you. Radio. It's great to have you. Did anything concrete come from this today, or was this the start of a conversation? Well, I think it's a continuing conversation that each of the sectors you mentioned are quite interested in. And uh, the president talked to the group about uh, the importance of hardening our cybersecurity uh, defenses in all sectors and, and, and sharing critical information among sectors to help us all protect assets um, on the skills we need to build. Um, uh, there's a, a huge supply demand gap in our workforce today and uh, how we can increase the number of professionals trained for that workforce and also diversify it so that we can increase the pipeline. All these were um, subjects that were discussed. There were, uh, I think, some important commitments made, but this was an important conversation among different sectors that need to work well together mm -hmm. um, so, that, uh, so that we're meeting our goals. What's the biggest threat uh, for you? And I ask you that knowing that you've got thousands of students each with their own pipe coming into their dorm rooms. You've got, uh, of course, classrooms that are that are online and, and dealing with a lot of issues as well. But it's got to be difficult to control, Chancellor, with so many people coming and going on campus. Well, it's, it's that way at a large university system like the University of Texas. It's that yeah. way at, at, at large businesses. And, mm -hmm. and even at mom-and-pop shops, you know, the, the, the greatest vulnerability that we may have is uh, individual users who are not uh, savvy enough, um, prepared enough for uh, an environment where there are people trying to uh, hack their systems and get into their systems. Um, so one of the things that was discussed was the need for a sort of cybersecurity kind of hygiene program that everybody would be um, have a, at least a, a sort of threshold level of learning and skills um, to be aware of what the threats are and to operate 
accordingly when they're on the Internet. But I'd have yeah. to say that for us and probably for most businesses, the greatest threat is really um, outside actors um, you know, bombarding our networks, trying to find any way to get in um, because of the attractiveness of the kind of intellectual property that a very large research enterprise has uh, access to. Did you feel like you have what you need? Were you sharing ideas on what's working for you? And tell us about the talent shortage. You're, you're training the, the next wave of soldiers who are going to deal with this. So this is one of the most important uh, things to me is uh, we've got a short-term problem and a long-term problem. We've got a, a gap that's estimated at 500,000 jobs open today in this country in cybersecurity that, that, that aren't filled. Uh, but we are going to have a problem over the long term as well unless we do a number of things. And, and, and I think you know, having more traditional degree programs and graduating a larger number of students is one thing. But to deal with the short-term problem and really to deal with the kinds of, uh, of entry-level uh, professional jobs that, that are available, uh, we need to think outside the box and provide many more of the short-term credentials where we can upskill existing workforce or provide short courses. The University of Texas at Austin has a, uh, a cybersecurity boot camp for 24 weeks. It's that kind of thing that is going to allow us, I think, to meet the short-term gaps, uh, and, but also satisfy what the real workforce needs are. Mm -hmm. We're talking uh, with J.B. Milliken, who's chancellor of the University of Texas System and still at the White House following the big meeting today with President Biden. Can I ask you what the president's tone was in this meeting? And, and do you have a sense, and I, I, I say this with, with all due respect, J.B., does he understand the technological side of this we're debating everything from bitcoin to hacking in washington and a lot of lawmakers a lot of politicians don't always quite have a sense of what's going on i think the the president does have an understanding of what the challenge is and what the uh important role government plays is and he has a a great team around him that uh, is uh, on top of this subject. And uh, we met with half a dozen uh, cabinet secretaries today who were involved in this, who see different perspectives uh, of the uh, of the broad problem yeah. of uh, protecting ourselves uh, in a in a dangerous world where cybersecurity is more and more important every day. So, I, I thought it was a good discussion, a serious discussion, and the right kinds of topics were on the table. I have less than a minute, uh, Chancellor. What happens next? Is there going to be a follow up on this? Have you guys scheduled the next meeting? There, there was talk at the end of the day about uh, at least virtually coming back in a couple of months to see how the big subjects that were addressed have been tackled and what progress was, yeah. is being made, and I hope that will be the case. Um, we will certainly be uh, making significant advances at the University of Texas system in ways that we can diversify the workforce and add uh, hundreds of thousands of educated uh, cyber professionals uh, through a network of universities nationwide. Chancellor, I'm sorry we're out of time, but a fascinating peek inside that meeting. J.B. Milliken, thank you for being with us on Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Two U.S. congressmen make an unannounced trip to Afghanistan. No, this is not the setup for a bad joke. 
As we learned this morning that Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts, and Peter Mayer, Republican from Michigan, both touched down in Kabul to take a look at what was going on there on the ground. Seth Moulton, who was on this program just a week ago, tweets today, with Representative Mayer, I visited Kabul airports to conduct oversight on the evacuation, witnessing our young Marines and soldiers at the gates navigating a confluence of humanity as raw and visceral as the world has ever seen was indescribable. Both of these men are veterans. Moulton, as you heard in a very emotional interview here a week ago, a Marine who served four combat tours in Iraq, both very concerned about the well-being and the future of our allies in Afghanistan, who have helped Americans as interpreters, drivers, contractors for the last 20 years, many of whom are struggling to get out of the country. Big reaction today made a big splash here inside the Beltway. And the two were largely condemned for making that trip, for taking resources from the airlift that are so badly needed. Although the Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, was asked about it, and seem to defend the two members of Congress. These are two individuals who I didn't know transpired that they went until after they were there. Um, they're both veterans. And they're both frustrated. They have an administration that won't tell them the answers to how many Americans are left or those Afghans that actually probably worked with them and helped them. Saying, I understand their frustration. The reaction was a bit different from the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Most important thing right now is for us to have a strong, the U.S. to have a strong military presence at the airport and the opportunity for people to get to the airport. It is not in furtherance of that strength for us to have members going over there. The resources necessary to facilitate their visit and to protect them was an opportunity cost of, of what we needed to do to be evacuating as many people as possible. So this this is... Deadly serious. Want to hear we from, do not want members to go. want to hear from the panel on this. Bloomberg's uh, politics contributor Rick Davis back with us, along with former New York congressman and former Democratic caucus chair Joe Crowley. Joe, I'm going to start with you here. If you were still helping to run uh, the Democratic leadership in the House, would you have condemned this trip? Well, I, I, I do recognize that these are two veterans. Uh, they've served their country honorably and well uh, in Iraq. Um, and I, I do think they are expressing the anguish that many of our veterans are feeling in terms of what they're seeing um, in terms of the extraction that's going on uh, in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, but I also would say that it's complicated. Uh, it helps. It, it actually is, is making it more complicated in terms of the evacuation and that effort and in, in terms of the timing of this. And I think uh, some will explain it for political reasons, as I think. Um, uh, Leader McCarthy um, was doing just now in, in, in terms of what you played back. You know, these are, these are it's a very complicated uh, operation that's going on right now. Yeah. And uh, this is a distraction uh, at the very least. I know this isn't easy. There may not be a right answer to this, Rick. Seth Moulton went on to tweet as a long thread. We did this visit in secret to reduce risks and impact on the mission. And we insisted on leaving in a plane that was not full, a seat designated for crew. So we did not take a seat from someone else. Of course, there are other accommodations that must be made, I'm sure, when the military learns that two members of Congress are in country. You, of course, as we've already described, went to Afghanistan a lot of times under various circumstances. And I wonder if you think they did the right thing here or, or if this was wrong. 
Well, on the third anniversary of the passing of John McCain, I must tell a John McCain story. And nobody was in Afghanistan or Iraq uh, more than Senator John McCain, uh, both in times of high intense conflict and also during the downtime. And he did that because he wanted to see with his own eyes, talk to the troops uh, directly and to the commanders. And in that way, he could then be the best legislator that he could. So the idea that we have to regulate the conduct of elected officials uh, by deciding where and when they can go uh, would have bristled John McCain. In fact, there wasn't a single administration, Republican or Democrat, who didn't hear from John McCain about being limited on where he could go and what he could do. Hmm. And so I think that we uh, have to be a little careful, right? I mean, this is a very difficult time. Uh, Neither one of these uh, members caused the crisis that we're now in. And and this administration has not done a good job of facilitating public disclosure of what's happening inside the fence at that airport. And so, you know, I can't blame them uh, for going on a trip that I think is uh, probably important to the public disclosure. It'll be interesting to see what they're able to tell us on their return. But uh, the idea that... Um, uh, two members uh, are going to be vastly criticized uh, for having the interest to go over there and put themselves at risk, uh, I think, is uh, a little bit over the top. I'm glad you reminded us, August 25th, 2018, and you probably saw the image, uh, Rick, of Vice President Kamala Harris marking mm-hmm. the anniversary uh, at the monument in Vietnam three years after his death. Was that handled the right way? Sure. I mean, uh, it's really kind of uh, Vice President Harris to uh, to visit that memorial and, and to tweet out uh, what she did. Uh, General Austin, the Secretary of Defense, uh, also was in Vietnam recently and uh, did a very similar thing. So honoring the memory of an American hero uh, is uh, is appropriate any time, day or night. Joe Crowley, what do you make oh, of, of what Rick just mentioned uh, with regard to John McCain's views on this. Should we set up a former a formal CODEL between now and next Tuesday? I think it's always the right thing, by the way. Uh, I was very heartened to see uh, the vice president at, at the memorial. And uh, always uh, important to remember our heroes, as John McCain was an American hero. Um, uh, look, I, I think that there's going to be plenty of time for uh, CODELs or uh, investigations and, and uh, in terms of the, the, the what is what is really a very important role of Congress, and uh, as I said before, I think Democrats will be as robust as as uh, Republicans uh, in terms of looking for answers. But right now, um, the focus needs to be on the extraction, getting as many Americans who want to leave the country out of the country, and getting as many people as we possibly can who helped us during these twenty years get out of the country. That has to be job one and focus right now, in my opinion. It was the 17th of August, to be uh, specific, which is uh, talking with our producer, Matt, about when Seth Moulton was on the program with us. And he spoke emotionally about his view, feeling helpless at that time with what was going on. As a veteran, someone who's not afraid to take responsibility uh, for my actions, I've been spending much of the last 72 hours racking my brain to think if there is something more I could have done, something more I could have done to force this debate in Congress, something more I could have done to convince the administration to follow my advice and start this evacuation earlier. 
so we wouldn't see the chaos that's been unfolding at Kabul airport over the last couple of days. I, I don't know an answer to that, Joe. I don't know if there is more I could do. But my point is that I'm not afraid to ask that question. And I'm not afraid to, to sit here a bit ashamed that I wasn't more successful in helping the administration and helping Congress do the right thing. Little did we know he would get on an airplane. You can hear that full interview, by the way, if you go listen to the podcast again from the 17th of August. Seth Moulton goes on in the thread, Washington should be ashamed of the position we put our service members in, but they represent the best in America. That, that's a lot to say right there. And Congressman Moulton used that word ashamed more than once, Rick, in that interview. Do you agree? Yeah, look, he feels very compelling uh, about his views. He's been an outspoken critic of uh, both the um, uh, Trump and Biden administration's handling of Afghanistan. He's been consistent, right? He does not see this as a, uh, uh, a political uh, debate. He sees this as a debate on American power and prestige and, and, and the way to handle our, our allies. And, and he won't be satisfied with the conversation about how many Americans were pulling out of Afghanistan, he he also believes that the Afghanistanis who have fought alongside us uh, deserve to get evacuated. And that's going to be, I'm sure, part of what he talks about on his return to the United States. We should note that we did invite Congressman Moulton to come back and talk to us today. As our producer, Christine, uh, reminds me, we will continue to leave the invitation out there uh, for him to talk to us. Joe Crowley, does this speak to the need for more veterans in Congress? Well, I will say this. Uh, I think all Americans share the frustration. Uh, the position that we are in 20 years on after 9-11. And keep in mind, we went into Afghanistan because they harbored our enemy, those who were responsible for the attacks of 9-11. Uh, and being there for 20 years, what I do agree with is that we could be there for 40, 50, or 60 years, and it would not change very much. Uh, what was what was happening on the ground today in terms of the acceptance of democracy um, by the Taliban or others within the country. Uh, and so I do agree that uh, getting out uh, was the right thing to do. Uh, it was never going to be pretty, no matter what. Uh, do I think it could have been better? I do. I think there are, there, are, there are things that should have been done and could have been done. But what we have to deal with the reality right now. We're all frustrated. Uh, I do think that uh, my son now is in the Naval Academy um, and he'll graduate next year. Uh, I do think uh, that, that they bring a, a, an experience. Um, I myself is not a veteran. And I think that's an important experience. We need all walks of life in Congress, and yeah. veterans included. Former Congressman Joe Crowley, congratulations to your son, and we thank him for his service. And Rick Davis, Bloomberg politics contributor, speaking in the memory today of the late Senator John McCain. Glad you spent time with us on the fastest hour in politics. Where does it go? I'm Joe Matthew. Meet you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.